Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Oh boy, I don't know if that crackling was in my headphones or hopefully you didn't have to hear it, but if you did, welcome anyway. Welcome Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast here on a roll back with you as we are every week, of course. Tell all your friends to subscribe on iTunes and Find us on NotSam.com, everything that we do. I think I'm going to post a video of last week's weirdo guests from the uh, Seattle Semi-Pro Wrestling. Vinny Van Glam or whatever his name is and Ronald McFondle. Very, very strange. Uh, you got to seem to believe him. There's a photo, I think, over at NotSam.com. But out with the old and in with the new. Let's talk about this week. So much to get into on this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I've really been enjoying that you guys have been tweeting me at not Sam and more and more people. It seems like are asking me to do two wrestling podcasts a week. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big undertaking. If I feel like you guys really are into it, I'll consider it as of right now. That's a big undertaking. I will get into the state of wrestling this week. Uh, I want to talk about, I want to talk about uh, how the WWE and it's pay-per-view, uh, is affected or not at all affected by the Floyd Mayweather fight. Of course, that's a big deal. Uh, uh, speaking of the Floyd Mayweather fight, another big deal happening in wrestling is what Michelle Beadle, Michelle Beadle, one of the top celebrity WWE superfans, rescinding her fan card. I want to talk about that. I want to uh, get into some of what's going on over at TNA and 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 a little touch a little bit more on what we talked about last week, uh, as well as uh, a whole bunch more. Of course. The E60 special, the ESPN E60 special on NXT and the whole developmental center uh, premiered this week. I was able to see it in advance. See, I don't even have to mention that I went to an advanced screening of it. It's just an ego thing to make sure that people know that I didn't I didn't watch it on TV last night or whenever you're downloading this on Tuesday night at the same time as everybody else. No, 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 no. I saw it several days before the general public did it. Okay. That's right. That's why I'm primetime Sam Roberts. Before we get to the state of wrestling, my guest this week is a very, very funny comedian named Tony Hinchcliffe. Now, I know that you guys want wrestlers, and we'll get wrestlers back on the podcast. In fact, I believe next week we'll have another guest from WWE. However, in the meantime, this week is Tony Hinchcliffe. Uh, He's a great comedian. He's based out of L.A., uh, I mean, just insanely, insanely funny. I'm telling you, within the next couple of years, you're going to be hearing the name Tony Hinchcliffe quite a bit. He's fast. He's an amazing joke writer. And he is a legitimate wrestling fan. Uh, I've seen him perform at a couple of different Iron Sheik roasts. You know, the Iron Sheik and the Mangan Boys, they go from town to town a couple times a year promoting Iron Sheik roasts. And they get a handful of comedians and a handful of wrestlers, and they all come together together. And they do a roast for the Iron Sheik. It's always absolute chaos. 
but it's fun. And Tony is a mainstay at those. I saw him uh, not too long ago at the New York Iron Sheik Roast. Also, a lot of you may have heard about this. Tony Hinchcliffe is a regular on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And a video of Joe on his podcast talking to Tony about wrestling went everywhere a couple of months back. Joe Rogan, not a pro wrestling fan. Of course, we know Joe Rogan from UFC and from his podcast and from being a comic and all that stuff. Joe Rogan is a big MMA guy, big hunter. He's a manly man. He does not like pro wrestling. He's one of these pro wrestling is fake guys. Uh, So Tony Hinchcliffe was on Joe Rogan's podcast and was talking to Joe about uh, the merits of pro wrestling and why he thinks Joe would be into it. Uh, I didn't realize Tony was such a big wrestling fan until that podcast. And from that point on, I was just waiting until the time that he was in New York where I could sit down and uh, just talk with him about being a wrestling fan and wrestling fandom. I think that it's important. There are celebrities that pretend to be wrestling fans. There are a lot of celebrities that hate wrestling. That's most of them. But I don't have a lot of respect for the celebrities that pretend to be wrestling fans. I don't like that. I like legitimate wrestling fan celebrities. I don't think there's that many of them. And I think that they are a community that we as wrestling fans, the whole reason this podcast exists is because I love wrestling so much. And this is a place where we can appreciate pro wrestling, sports entertainment, however you want to say it. This is where we can go to appreciate that, right? So why not also appreciate those people who work in mainstream media that also appreciate it? Michelle Beadle, up until this week, was a member of that uh, highly esteemed list. Uh, But Tony Hinchcliffe is indeed still on. He doesn't care who Triple H is taking photos with before any boxing matches. Tony Hinchcliffe, a legitimate wrestling fan, a legitimate funny dude, and legitimately a guest on this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Take it away, Howard Finkel. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. I like uh, not only having wrestlers, but like having people who work in some form of entertainment that are wrestling fans just because most people stay quiet about being a wrestling fan. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I was for a long time and it came up on that Joe Rogan experience and, uh, wow. Well, yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. Tony Hinchcliffe is finally here. You're an LA based comic. Hello. And so I've been trying to get you, you know, on the wrestling. I think I first told you about it, like at the iron sheet roast or yeah. something. Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing the outline of your hair on like retweets and things like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm close with, uh, you know, so many, a lot of wrestlers, especially like Rowdy Roddy Piper and yeah. stuff like that. Any any of them that have tried stand up or have been to L.A. Are you one of the Are you one of the comics that kind of because there's like a handful of wrestlers that try stand up, Mick Foley, mm-hmm. Piper, mm-hmm. who, and then there's a handful of comics that are wrestling fans mm-hmm. that have helped them kind of come in. Are you one of those guys? Oh, I def- definitely. I I, I uh, worked with Mick Foley uh, quite a bit, opened for him and stuff like that. But Piper. I really helped. Like, he knew, he knows me as a comedian and a writer, and he actually took me under his wing very early on. And, and I helped him with, you know, structuring and figuring out beats and timing, stand up wise, and things like that. Yeah, Piper's the best, man. Piper is one of the, he gave me some pieces of advice that it just immediately changed my life. Like, what? 
Um, he told me to nurture my spirit to do things that I want to do instead of things that maybe I should do. He basically said, if you're in the mood for a drink, have a drink. If you're in the mood to smoke pot, smoke pot. You want a cigarette, have a cigarette. You want your sixth cup of coffee for the day, have it. And he said that doing these things will, you know, make me feel so good and so in control of my own life right? that it sort of creates its own, generates its own star power. That's so funny that the guy that we know as, oh, the guy from the coconut right. is like telling you now to nurture your spirit yeah, and yeah. making you a better person. Yeah, exactly. And even though that sounds like bad advice, like the thing, the examples that I gave were bad. You know what I mean? Like drinking and smoking. Yeah, because you, you'd like have that. diabetes and cancer if right. you actually followed that advice. Right. Um, but like. You know, he told me to keep my, the whites of my eyes white, which was a huge, huge game changer for me. I didn't really understand what it meant before. Did it mean not get stoned? No. It meant do whatever you want, but have eye drops in your pocket at all times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do whatever you want, but don't let – nobody needs to know. Right. And ever since then, I've constantly – I have a one – once a week, I have to buy a new packet of clear eyes. So he's saying – you should do drugs. You should eat unhealthily, and you should lie to people about it, and that way it's all good. Uh, it's some of the best advice I've ever been given <laughs> yeah. in my entire life. Maybe you should have had somebody around to really break it down exactly yeah. what he was saying. Yeah, but truly, he's he's just the best, and uh, and yeah, he's amazing. Piper Piper's a great one. So you, uh, I guess, most recently, you're the biggest thing that you've done. Maybe I'm wrong, but to me. My perception is the thing that you've done that the biggest audience has seen in terms of pro wrestling is when you went on Joe Rogan's podcast. Because you and I, like, I spent a lot of times, not as much anymore, but in the beginning of when I was working for, like, Opie and Anthony, I spent a lot of times going on the air and justifying pro wrestling as they were telling me how stupid it was. And right. I would try to, sometimes I'd do it, you know, silly and storyline, and sometimes I'd actually be trying to explain what the appeal is. Right. But you went on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is like this monster of a podcast, yeah. and tried to explain to Mr. MMA right. what the appeal of the pro wrestling was. Yeah. And well, it went everywhere. Yeah. It went, it was, a, it got really, really big because this was one of the things that I said to him is I, I said, I go, Joe, I think you'd be really surprised how many pro wrestling fans are probably your fans because I know a lot of UFC fans or WWE fans because, you know... 15, UFC fighters are, are WWE exactly. fans. Exactly. And 15, 20 years ago before the UFC was everywhere, if, you're, right. if you were into that type of thing, your only outlet was pretty much on Monday nights, you know, or right. Saturday nights or Saturday mornings. And there's a huge crossover. And I said that on the air and he disagreed with that. He, I think I said 70, I think I said 60, 70 or 80%. I go, I bet you 70% of your fans have or do like wrestling at some point in their lives he goes no way well sure enough the next day he's going tony i have never of every podcast i've done i've never gotten more feedback and tweets and hate notes and love notes and you know what i mean people going so funny people going can't believe you busted tony's balls people going can't believe this idiot likes wrestling but it creates this buzz yeah well i don't think wrestling i don't think there's anything like wrestling in the sense of how polarizing it is nobody right. doesn't have an opinion on it yeah. uh, somebody and that's been and i probably you understand because as a wrestling fan you kind of want to incorporate wrestling into as much of what you do oh yeah but as far as audiences go they either can't stand the word wrestling like the nothing they want nothing to do with it in their lives or it's all they want yeah like if you say i'm a wrestling fan and i'm doing a comedy show 
mm-hmm. that audience is going to want only wrestling jokes from you. Right. Right. Exactly. And that, and that, that's an interesting thing is sometimes since then people are like, I'm surprised you don't talk about wrestling in your act. And it's like, well, yeah, well that's the, that's actually the thing that I do to get away from everything. There's, yeah. there's only a very few things left. Which, by the way, is why I'm happy I didn't end up taking the job that they offered me because it would have like it would have just exposed it to me. I, they offered me they offered me a chance to move to Stanford mm-hmm. and write for them, and I tried to write from LA like part time. That was my that was my negotiation. That was your offer. Yeah, exactly. And they were like, "That's not that's not how it works." Just wasn't gonna happen. Even though I had so much fun in this meeting, and the guy loved me, and you know, it was just like. It, I guess that's just not how they do things. How did you get into, how did you end up getting that offer? Um, I ended up getting the offer from, I guess, I guess my agent just got me in there. My agent randomly, oh, I remember. He goes, you want to open up for Mick? Open up for Mick Foley. I go, yeah, man, uh, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, I love it. And it's funny, too, because, like, as a wrestling fan, you're doing stuff that, Maybe you wouldn't do for other comedians, right? You know what I mean? Like, are you going to open for some guy who just kind of started headlining and do? Oh yeah, no. But as exactly. a wrestling fan, you're like, I'll do whatever I can do to help Mick, Absolutely. whatever I can do to help Roddy. Absolutely. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, it's not the it wasn't the best paying gig at all. It was an hour drive out of the city. I don't <laughs> really ever do that. And but uh, to- you're exactly right. Totally worth it. And by the way, Mick Foley. Have you seen him do stand-up yeah, live? I was a sho- bunch of times. I was shocked at how amazingly good he is. He's really good. Yeah. And he's figured out now, Mick, like the first time I saw when he first started, he was trying to do straight stand-up. And he was kind of even trying to get away from wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he realized that that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that he needed to just do what his strengths are and do kind of a hybrid of comedy meets one-man show meets just experiences. Yeah. And he's come up with this show that wrestling it's, – it's all wrestling stories. Yeah. And so wrestling fans love it, but he has figured out a way to get these stories across where the girlfriends, the wives, the people who don't know any of what he's talking about are actually still into it. Yeah. I was, I was really surprised because I know how hard stand-up is. And everybody I've ever seen try to make a transition into stand-up, whether it's an old actor or musician or pro wrestler, anything. It's never, it's never good enough to make me laugh. And meanwhile, I sat in the back of the room. My jaw just dropped. As my, I remember my hands stinging from clapping so hard at the stuff he was doing from beginning to end. Yeah. And I think it's good that he started off stand-up-y and then dialed it back to Mick Foley. Yes. Because he learned the timing and the beats that it takes and the and the – operation of moving you know 180 degrees and he's gone up on stage and bombed i bet like he knows what that feels yeah. like as a as, as a yeah. comedian kind of has to yeah before they know how to really control an audience so you're opening for mick mm-hmm. and uh and well when i got the offer when my i remember i was in my agent's office just swung by randomly in santa monica one day and uh he offered me that because i was mad because i'm like what are, we, what are we what are we doing and he goes you want to open up for mick foley i'm like hey, you got me <laughs> and, I, and i go uh and i go if there's ever anything wrestling related just something to keep in mind you know i i love wrestling and he goes well you know i know the uh, the head of creative over there they have their offices or their la offices are on wilshire uh, would you like a meeting? You know, it's a one in a million or whatever. They, he kept telling me over and over again 
that there's no chance of anything, I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. Just let me meet with a guy yeah. and talk with him. Just spitball wrestling because I have nothing to lose. That's the, that's the leverage. I'm sure most people go in there into a meeting with that guy and they end up, you know, they think of the money over and over again. And uh, I'm a stand-up comedian that gets to tour and have fun and podcast. It's very loosey-goosey. Am I rich? Absolutely not. But I'm having so much fun. So I wasn't thinking about the money at all. I was just like talking. you don't need the job. Right, right. Exactly. And I was just talking wrestling with him and laid out this, uh, you know, a couple cool little imaginary storylines. And uh, Now, is that something you were doing just doing naturally or was that okay i have this meeting with this writer let me try to think of some storylines i did try to throw uh i did try to put it all together you, Do you know? remember what the storylines were i remember i wrote one extended outline for um for the undertaker and kane to retire at the same time actually at this wrestlemania it was right after last wrestlemania i think yeah it was it was right yeah i'm pretty sure yeah it was right after last wrestlemania that i had the meeting mm-hmm and not this last one, the one before that, where Brock beat The Undertaker. Right. And I remember pitching this one thing because I assumed that The Undertaker, I thought that The Undertaker was done, by the way. So, yeah. like, I fell for everything, like a huge <laughs> mark. Like, when he just had this match in this WrestleMania against... Um, Bray. Yeah, Bray Wyatt. My mind was blown. I mean, right. I just wanted to, like, cry. Which is why you don't, you kind of want to still be a mark. Like, yeah. you don't really want to be that close to it. Right. Because that's the fun of it. Oh, my mind was blown. Right. But anyway, I sort of wrote something to where I wanted to also, I, I wanted to help the undertaker out, go out on a high note. And I wanted to help Kane get reinvented because I thought corporate Kane is like the dumbest thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. I think they ruined one of their best, make you a little scared in your stomach guys and just destroyed him uh-huh. corporate Kane. i still don't get it i think it's bad on every level i think it made the corporation look bad i think it made Kane look bad it ruins his whole legacy i don't like it when they just run away from storylines and pretend like they never existed right he's just a guy in slacks whose name is Kane. right exactly but uh basically my gist was like and it was a crazy one but basically like the wyatts kidnap Kane and rebuild him uh, from the ground up and like, sh- you know, like really retrain him and remind him of who he is, take him back to his roots, give him the old mask and, uh, and, um, and then make him a monster again, have Kane break out from Bray. Basically I was, I had Kane and Bray going up against each other in like survivor series or rumble or things like that rebuilding Kane to be like this monster leading up to which by the way I wouldn't have had Brock be the champion in this in this pitch that I had I I had I had it going other places so it would have just built this big lead up for Kane versus Brock Lesnar at this WrestleMania for Uh revenge Brock wins but I had like lights go out Undertaker appears out of nowhere after Kane loses with like Brock already up in a tombstone Undertaker tombstones Brock Lesnar, Kane Tombstones, Paul Heyman at the same time, and Kane and Undertaker walk away up the ramp, basically retiring. Little did I know that Undertaker would be in three times better shape and three times a better wrestler than he was a year ago against right. Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Good thing they didn't listen to me because I, <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite matches of the whole thing was Undertaker Bray Wyatt. So then after, obviously they liked your, your ideas mm-hmm. and they offered you this job. Yeah. 
I also told them that they have to keep pushing Stardust. Stardust had just come out at the time, and I swear to God, this is no joke. One of the things that I was going to pitch regardless, and this was a week or two before it happened, I thought of this was make Cody Rhodes a Gold Dust spinoff. Like, literally what happened. Uh-huh. I have witnesses at the comedy store that were hearing me. Me and my buddy Matt Edgar were pitching it back and forth to each other of how cool that would be. Basically almost down to the name. You know what I mean? Well, have you seen the uh, interviews that like, I've done with him? He stays in character. Wait, who, Stardust? Stardust. Oh, my God. Like, he'll do... I've done it twice now. Yeah. Where he does these... They do these media days around big pay-per-views, but it's at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, all these guys come, and they do interviews with all the radio shows, but it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Stardust comes, full paint, contacts, gear, boots, gloves, everything, and does everything in character. I think he's unbelievable. I raved to this guy passionately mm-hmm. I, it, because it, Stardust had been out a week or two. I go, you have to push this guy to the sky. He's unbelievable. This thing is – and they, I feel like they really have. I feel yeah. like he did it himself too. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think, I think it's more of that because yeah. it, it's not like – like, they've definitely given him attention, and they put him on TV a lot, but it's not like they've given him really anything to sink his teeth into. He ran with it. Yes. Totally. His commitment to that character is insane. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, I don't think anybody is that into their character as he is, and he has to be. It's such a bizarre character that if, you, if he starts to think about it or if he thinks of Cody for a second... It doesn't, it doesn't right. work anymore. Exactly. It's such a weird thing. It's so weird. I love everything about it. So... What made you decide to not take the job then? Because it sounds like, you know, you didn't think it was going to happen. And then finally they actually go, actually, we do want to bring you on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, um, I just didn't want to move to Stanford. I, I, the stories that I've heard from 100% of former writers, which yeah. I've worked with a couple of them in other writers' rooms, is not good. Uh, and so a combination of that, I didn't want to move to Connecticut. I, I didn't realize how close Stanford was to New York city. So at the time I'm like, what am I going to do? One set of week of stand up, which is like my backbone to everything. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't re- really realize then until like, I mean, I don't know if it really would have played a role anyway, but I didn't realize it was like a 45 minute train ride. Or I whatever. mean, it's definitely very doable, but. I don't know if the time. I don't know if you would have time to do it. Like, right. I mean, Patrice O'Neill lasted three days as a writer. Yeah, because he was like, oh, "I got stand up this weekend." And they're like, "Well, we need you to," and he was like, "Yeah, but I got stand up this weekend." Right, and I'm pretty sure that's what would have happened to me. Yeah, and you know, and also I just didn't want to ruin wrestling for myself. There was a big part of my, you know, I really go off my instincts a lot, and there was something telling me to not do it. That's a strong position to take though because it's so tempting to say oh but it might work out it's one of those sort of like oh you know willy wonk in the chocolate factory scenarios where i get to go and i get to be in titan towers and i get to go backstage at the show and i get to interact with all these guys that i watch on tv so to actually have the place of the the, the sort of to be in the mindset where you can say yeah but long term and let's really think about this is pretty yeah. Strong. The twelve-year-old me would have strangled the modern-day me. Yeah, had, had it heard me turning down that job. Well, I think that's what you always have to think of. Is like because you should, I think, do things based on who you were when you were twelve. Right. But you know, would your twelve-year-old self have 
enjoyed that? Probably not. Right. Eventually, even your 12-year-old self would have been like, they kind of treat me like shit if that were happening. And even in even in the things that I really, really write for, like the roasts and the TV shows that I've written for, if I have a good idea and it even starts to get challenged, all my ideas that I'm passionate about always make it through. And they make it through editing and they make it through oh, everything. Oh, God, yeah. And I'm telling you, even when it gets a little bit challenged, if somebody goes, should we change the wording you think of this one joke? And and I get, I get, I go, no, 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 You know what I mean? I get very protective. I know what's going to work. At least I think I do. And that works for me. And it ends up working. And I know that then that's really the biggest thing. Like, had I gotten like some crazy thing where it's like you get complete first draft control and only Vince or Stephanie or Triple H or somebody like diabolical can go in it's and change never, your thing. It's right. never going to happen. Of course. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. And why would they do that too? Right. They're just like, you're a comic who likes wrestling and had right. a couple good ideas. They're right. not going right. to give right. you the company. Right. Exactly. Right. So I mean, it makes it makes sense. But I would have, I would have, again, I would have taken a huge, huge, huge pay cut if I was able to do it via email from LA without much worries. But to go to Stanford and not, not, and to be able to have passionate ideas get turned down, that would have crushed me. So you're, you, you were more looking for like just like a contributing writer. Yeah. Like I just send you totally, ideas. Totally, totally. I mean, I would have taken. I mean, they pay out of control. Like I could not believe. Really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, like a crazy amount of money. Much, 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 probably double or triple. Uh, by, I mean, just crazy than what I thought. But uh, I would have taken, like, I would have been happy at, like, $20,000 a year for... Yeah, to just do it on the side. One email a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just be You'd like, think they would do stuff like that, though. You'd think just to have the ideas flowing in, they'd be open to... Right. And they don't have to talk to you about them. Right. They just, like, expect you to send... However many, you know, figure out like a page of ideas yeah. a week. And I would, and it'd be perfect. It would flow right out of me. It'd be easy for me, and they would win because the guys that do have to sit in the office, I'm sure they would love some uh, just crazy ideas. angle. Exactly. And so, and then you'd end up just sitting there watching TV, and every now and then, oh, that's mine. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. Huh. I thought it was funny, speaking of Stardust and everything, that after... You went on Rogan because, you know, you went on, on Rogan's podcast. You're talking about wrestling and he was talking about how stupid it is. And mm-hmm. you kind of brought up Goldust mm-hmm. on his podcast. And you got into a Twitter fight with Goldust. Yeah. Yeah. Which was – did that like – was that heartbreaking to you as a fan? Big time. It was. Big time. Yeah. All my buddies, again, at the comedy store, they still go, you know, did you ever make up with Goldust? Because <laughs> <laughs> they all know that it bothers me. Like because I, I fucking love Goldust, man. I love – I mean it's – I mean, he's the most impressive, really, of them all. If you look at the fact that he's gotten, in my opinion, better over the last, you know, I, mean, I think he's at the top of his game. I've got in my apartment, it's probably my favorite piece of wrestling memorabilia. Mm-hmm. I think it's from, like, around 96, 90, yeah, probably 96. It's a ring-used Goldust outfit. Wow. Yeah. What is that? How, what does that feel like? It's, it, it, I haven't tried it on. Obviously. <laughs> Everybody's always like, oh, did you put it on? I'm like, no. But it's like it's 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 a little thicker than you'd think. Yeah. Not like thick like a wetsuit though. Right. And it, but it's that shiny mm-hmm. like gold lame-ish thing and the the crotch is all worn out. That's how I can tell it's real. Oh wow, that is so cool. Yeah. I have a gold dust action figure that sits on my one desk in my uh living room. And um So you're just looking at your toy going like 
Why are you fighting with me? I couldn't believe it. And I get it. You know, what, what, how it actually came up was like, I was talking about, you know, the stuff that I would write and Rogan goes, you know, he's just making a joke and he goes, Tony, if you were writing for the WWE, I bet you would make a, and he knows nothing about wrestling, by the way. He goes, I bet if you were writing for wrestling that you would make some gay wrestler that sprinkles dust on people when he wins. (laughs) And like, that's not exactly gold dust. But when Joe said that as a comedian with timing, I naturally go, Joe, you're never going to believe this. (laughs) And everybody started cracking up and it was a whole thing. And I get it. You know, I didn't have enough time. You know, when you, when two comedians are talking and they're going and you're listening and you're going with the next thing, you know, you don't always get to go back and correct the... And I, I don't think any of Joe Rogan's podcast listeners really want to hear you go into detail about the intricacies of right. the character of Goldust. Exactly. As much as you know as a comedian, it's funny right. that there is a wrestler who right. dresses all in gold yeah. and used to flirt with guys, and right. that was what he did. Right. And he got mad because I said there is a gay wrestler that, you know. But I'll tell you this. I, you know, Goldust, if you, if you don't put it behind you, I will say this. Is that if we were to make a video compilation of all the gay things that Goldust has done, it would be such a gay compilation. I mean, his first couple of feuds in the business were Razor Ramon, which the biggest part of that was when he had the razor heart on his chest. Yeah. And then Ahmed Johnson, which the biggest part of that was him insisting to give him mouth to mouth. Right. And he kissed Piper. And he kissed just, Piper. Yeah, he lingerie on under his, under his yeah. gimmick. Co- coincidentally, Piper ripped off his clothes for some reason. <laughs> Piper gave him an extra kiss for some reason at the end of that. That seemed pretty improvised. My favorite my favorite uh, moment, I'll never forget, because as a kid, I'm trying to figure out what everything is. Because that's just like, when that was happening, we were like just starting puberty and all this stuff was happening. So, like... We didn't even know. I mean, you know what gay is, but you don't know everything when you're watching. And I'll never forget in the lead up to WrestleMania 12, when they're getting ready for the Hollywood backlot brawl, Mm -hmm. Piper and Goldust are in the ring together. And Piper goes, I don't know what your deal is, but I'm a lesbian. I love women. (laughs) And I'm just watching as a kid going, Roddy Piper's insisting that he's a lesbian. Right. It's like, I thought that's when a girl like... But I guess, then I guess I'm a lesbian too. Yeah, they were so far. I mean, Goldust was so far ahead of its time. Well, I really think Goldust is the first Mm -hmm. Attitude Era performer. Everybody says it's Austin, and Austin's my favorite wrestler of all time. But I think Goldust is the guy who transitioned out of that sort of safe. He's the first one that people are protesting against. It was pushing people the wrong way. It was like, it made people uncomfortable yeah it gave you a funny feeling in your gut i'd imagine it like especially you know some of the most passionate wrestling fans ever from the south like where it was really yeah. where it's really been groomed and imagine the impact that gold dust must have had on them you want to talk about somebody who gets the crowd riled up i'll bet yeah he probably was the first since andy kaufman i'll bet to like and and it took andy everything him him throwing the house at the south you know what i yeah. mean going uh, 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 I don't know nothing, you know, in the arenas of people to get them that riled up. And, and when Andy was doing it, people thought it was real. Yeah. Like Goldust was doing it in a time where everybody knew it was worked. Right. But still was able to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you on that Attitude Era thing. I that's, that's a really cool insight. And, you know, that's really my era. I mean, I was there before. I remember I started, I remember seeing wrestling on TV. Remember when you were like 
two or three and you don't really have memories of anything, but like you sort of remember something that you liked about something and you went back and you found it. That's what wrestling was for me. I remember yeah. seeing it on TV for a second, but one of my older brothers or sisters was flipping through the channels and I remember seeing it and just from seeing the colors and the shapes and things and going, yeah. I need, to, I want to find that someday. And I remember looking for like a year and a half and it turned out one Saturday morning or whatever it was, four or five, I found it and boom just locked in so by the time the attitude era hit so were you watching from the time you were four or five straight through till now well i I, in the last eight nine ten years since i started stand up and been in la and tried to be an adult uh, i haven't been able to watch it that much Uh um you i like i in my live podcast that i do is every monday night at eight so i'm basically going head to head (laughs) i'm exhausted afterwards and busy before and i try to catch up i read i read about it i said this to joe the other day he goes do you watch it every week i go no i read about it he goes you what you what (laughs) i just got dizzy he's so funny and and he gets it by the way and and i'm really gonna turn him but that episode we had you know i was explaining to Joe, I go, dude, you like UFC and you like Game of Thrones. Yeah. So there's no way you're convincing me that you would not like parts of pro wrestling. Well, that, and that's the whole argument. He was, we were talking when he was in here about it a little bit mm-hmm. off the air, but that, you know, he's like, well, it's not real and UFC is real. And it's like, nobody sits there and says, well, I mean, you know, Brian Cranston is Walter White's real name right. and he does not deal drugs. Right. And you're like, I know. I'm watching. I'm not watching Breaking Bad because I think, oh, look at this guy making meth. Yeah. Or like, you know, my example is always like, if you were having a conversation with somebody and said, what do you think happened to Tony Soprano? Yeah. And they said, what are you talking about? The camera stopped, and then right. he went home. And he went to his trailer. Yeah. Like that's all. He's an actor. Yeah. You'd be like, this dude's an asshole. Like I don't want to have a conversation with him. Right. But for some reason, people who aren't wrestling fans can't get past that hump of just treat it like it's entertainment. And that's all we're doing. Yeah. Like, it's not like nobody's getting tricked anymore in 2015. That's not what the business is about. Exactly. I, I, don't, I can't believe people don't even understand that anymore. Like, we all know that it's not real. That would be pretty crazy if punches that landed four inches away from a guy's face really, like, we all see it. Like, we know. Right. Um, like, but- in combat, you don't need to slap your thigh when you kick someone <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Unless you're really trying to impress a lot of girls that are around or (laughs) something like that. But, no, I'm convinced that I'm going to be able to sell. I think it's going to be the funniest twist ever when I get Joe to like pro wrestling. What do you think you're going to show Joe Rogan? Like, what type of thing could you show him? Like, like for my friends, Mm -hmm. I have a friend I work with. His name's Troy. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I watched wrestling in the 80s when I was a kid. He was like, it was cool then. So like, Marty Jannetty, that's my favorite wrestler. He goes, but ever since Marty Jannetty, everything's gone downhill. <laughs> and I'm like, just the, just the absurdness of it all. So I got him over to my apartment, uh-huh. and I started showing him, like, a YouTube compilation. It was, like, three hours of uh, Undertaker stuff from the mid-'90s. Uh-huh. He was like, Undertaker's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, wait until the next time you come over. And he came over again, and I went through everything Stone Cold did in the Attitude Era. Not his matches. The Zamboni and the monster truck and the cement and all this stuff. And he goes, that's fucking badass. Yeah. 
And what do you? So that's that's when I got him. Like, and now he's at least at the point where he's like, okay, I see where it's cool. Well, I think that for a guy like Joe, I'm gonna need to make it like a smooth transition. So I think it would have to be something Brock Lesnar related because he knows Brock from the UFC, but former UFC champ. Isn't the idea of like, look how cool Brock is in WWE? Isn't that sort of the combat thing that he's gonna be like, no, because he was actually competing in UFC. I still think the fact that Brock is going suplex city on people, and I think there's without a doubt, it's going to be the athletic part of it that sells Joe. Okay, like the how does how? Wow, he's I can tell his brain is going to want to figure out like, wow, so that guy's jumping up. Wow, right? Like watching how how are how are these guys controlling their bodies? Right, right. The the storylines and this and that, he'll, I feel like he'll always like the realer, the better. You know what I mean? Like like a Brock Lesnar who doesn't yeah. really, you know, it's not too gimmicky. It's no. just fucking, I'm a badass. And so I, I, w- have, I wish Brock and Seth Rollins would wrestle more. Um, because if so, I feel like that would be the perfect one to show Joe. Because I think Seth Rollins is just... He's amazing. He really is. I think he's... But- the modern day Shawn Michaels and maybe even could be bigger. The way that guy works out. He's incredible. Have you gotten to hung, hang out with him? I've, yeah, a little bit. So cool. A little bit. I saw pictures of you at WrestleMania. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I follow you on Twitter and my mind was just blown. <laughs> I had a fun one too, though. Me and my buddies, my buddy in Beverly, who, house sitting in Beverly Hills for some super, I don't, I don't even know who owns this house was, but we watched on some giant, giant theater screen, like, must have been, I don't know, 100 or 200 feet by 100 or 200 feet. And this big, it was just a room made of, like, trampoline. And one entire high ceiling wall was a screen. I couldn't believe it. Wow. They're just running around and all this stuff. Like, when the NWO was in the ring <laughs> with, uh, with DX. I mean, we were just running around, going yeah. crazy. Just running back and forth like little kids, burning energy, just yelling about how... You know, we kept going when the DX and NWO were in the ring at WrestleMania. We kept going, this is for us. It's for us. Yeah. This is for our age group, the Attitude Era. If anybody between, you know, 35 and 24 right now is doing this, they're yeah. freaking out. Yeah. But, yeah, I went off on a long rant there. I, I, I didn't let you talk. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I, was, oh, uh, I get excited now. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. I was going to say the uh, – you're right about Seth Rollins that, like mm-hmm. – He's incredible. Yeah. And he can do it. He's good on the mic. Mm-hmm. His character works. He looks good. And he can do these amazing things. And he's so smart that he does these amazing top rope moves mm-hmm. that he only takes out, like, every now and then. Yeah. And I think that's that's so much better. But I was going to say, you might want to show Rogan the SummerSlam match between Brock and John Cena just mm-hmm. because it's such a beatdown. In fact, it's funny you say that. That's exactly what I was thinking is watching Brock give a beat down to Cena like that. It's the, so all those suplexes, I think. Yeah, just watching watching a guy get dumped on his head that many yeah. times, especially somebody as big as Cena. Yeah. I mean, are you going to be able to convince Rogan that they're not on steroids? Um, I don't think... I, 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 I think Rogan is so aware due to the, his work with the UFC of that he knows. supplements and, you know, a lot of different regimens and this and that, that something's got to be up. He knows that the human body is only capable of so much. So, I mean, whether it's steroids or something crazy, a lot of, you know, some chemicals are pumping through anybody's system to get them that big and in that kind of shape. I was going to say, when you were talking about 
Seth Rollins and being athletic and showing Rogan stuff. I don't know if you've seen any, any of Adrian Neville's matches. He a just, bit. yeah, he just got moved up from NXT. Yeah. And like the way this dude, that's somebody you got to show Rogan because he's small. And his finishing moves like a seven, some uh, three spins from the top yeah. rope, right? It's incredible. I've seen that before and my head almost exploded. But he does this thing now where he, uh, like he gets whipped from one corner to the other diagonally and somersaults the entire way. <laughs> so he does like three somersaults between the two corners. But just and, – and, and it reminded me when you were talking about Joe appreciating, like, what these guys are doing with their bodies. Yeah. The control that Adrian Neville has of his body is, like, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. He was wrestling Sheamus. And Sheamus was putting him in, like, a back body drop or something or back breaker. Mm-hmm. And he was running toward him, and I could just see the way that Adrian Neville was moving and how different it looked from anyone else taking that move that Sheamus was doing nothing. Yeah. That Adrian Neville was doing this himself and just moving his body in all these different ways. It's really – it's incredible. It is. It's really incredible how a, a really great wrestler can make anyone look great. Yeah. And I guess that's another thing about this last WrestleMania with like Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker. And you know what? Sting and Triple H too. I mean Sting oh – God, I still can't believe how good The Undertaker was. I was totally expecting – And I mean know, I think a lot of that too – like, I think Bray Wyatt's the best guy right. on, the, on the roster. I think he's the Sam, best if, dude. Let's get married because I totally agree with <laughs> yes. you on that. I mean, I think I've been praising Bray. That's another thing in that meeting that I was doing. Yeah, I literally was telling them, I go, you know, and a lot of people are going to, you know, I'm sure not like this. But that was the one who I thought should, I think they should give him the ultimate push. And a lot of people say it's too soon, and I get that. But it can really develop this powerful 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 presence all of a sudden you have you know this guy who is young and he does have a belt which by the way they did it with seth rollins anyway right so when the smoke cleared but bray's like bray's almost at the point now where he doesn't even need a championship like he's as close to a young undertaker yep as i think we'll ever get just because like he can work with anyone yeah he can compel. He, can, he doesn't even need to win matches, and you're sure. still, like, drawn to him. You're absolutely right. He's so and good. The level of commitment. Like, we were talking about Stardust. Mm-hmm. Bray does what Undertaker does in the sense that he can't get away with not doing interviews. I don't think anybody who's a big star these days can really not do interviews the way The Undertaker has. Right. But Bray, and I've talked to him a bunch of times now, and he does this thing where... He's not kayfaving, so it's not corny. Right. But he, his personality and character have just become so blended together in real life mm-hmm. that, you know, he's doing this interview, and you could talk to him about the fact that his dad was, it was IRS, that his brother's Bo Dow. Like, you can bring up real-life stuff that isn't, quote-unquote, Bray Wyatt, but he's still kind of in character as he's talking. Right. Like, he's molded his personality in with this character, and I think that's why it's so... Good. Yeah. Well, I think I think that that's not coincidence. I think that he's really grown up the real wrestling life. I think that yeah. your dad has to be IRS and your grandfather has to be Blackjack or his yeah. uncle or whatever. Yeah. And his brother has to be Bo Dallas. What I want to see is... Yeah, and his uncle's Barry Windham. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, obviously, this guy and Bo have been wrestling each other 
from bed to bed, yes. hotel to hotel, living room to kitchen, you know, through the dining room table. I can't even imagine the stories or the home videos that they must have of those two. They have to be rolling around. Yeah. When, when your dad and your uncle and they're the cool guys and, and that's what they do, you have to be watching. It has to become a part of your DNA. And I think that Bray Wyatt exudes that. I don't think it's any coincidence. By the way, the other guy we're talking about with this is Stardust. And it's the exact same thing. I mean, the powerful Rhodes family. You yeah. Know, they, they, it cannot be coincidence that the two guys that we're talking about are, are blatant, blatant commitment to their characters. It can't be coincidence that their dads and their brothers mm-hmm. and, you know, all these other links are together. And, uh, yeah, I think Bray is just unbelievable. I, I think Bo Dallas is amazing, too. I, yeah. I wish that they would really get behind that motivational speaker type character. Right. Because I think it works. Yeah. I just don't think they've really gotten behind it. Right. They, they, they have to pick his, uh, they have to pick his opponent. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, his first run where he was just kind of like getting lucky victories or cheating or whatever, and then acting like he had just won the world series. Right. was perfect. Oh yeah. Very, very funny. But I, yeah, it just kind of ball got dropped a little bit after that. Who'd you, who's your favorite growing up? Growing up, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Mr. Perfect, uh, Ric Flair, I'm a big fan of bad guys. The Undertaker, obviously. I remember The Undertaker. I remember when, I think the first coffin match was Kamala. Yeah. And I remember when they would, each week they were updating with a new promo coming up. And he was slowly over week after week building this coffin. Yeah. And I remember it just like taking over my life. Because I was really young at the time. I was, I don't know, 12, 13. It was 92. 92. Yeah, that makes me eight. Yeah. And I remember at the time it was me also learning about what a coffin was Mm -hmm. and like what death was. I totally learned about life and death pretty much because of The Undertaker. Right, because you go, Mom, I don't understand. Like Mm -hmm. I'm watching my first live event that I went to was 92 SummerSlam in England. Oh, my God. I love that. I, yeah. I, I had that on VHS. Yeah. One of the ones that, you know, back in our day, you had to, if you got the pay-per-view, you had to hit record on the VCR yeah. and dub over a tape and get it. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Isn't that, wasn't the uh, the Ultimate Warrior at that one? Yeah, it was Warrior Macho Man. And it was such a long distance from the ring to, from <laughs> yes. the entrance. And I remember at the end, the Ultimate Warrior had to, you know, he's sprinting the entire way and it took him still like a minute. To he's get... completely blown up by the time he hits <laughs> right. the ring exactly but he wasn't that maniac that, the, yeah. the undertaker uh came out in a hearse yeah like he drove a hearse to the ring mm-hmm. and like my dad is going that's that's amazing that he's in a hearse yeah i'm like what's a hearse right. and it's like those things that that's where you just learn about exactly. everything a hearse and urn when i found out that there yeah. was human ashes in that thing yeah like like somebody it, had to explain to me why Paul Bearer was a funny name. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, so, so much of, like, life I learned yeah. through wrestling. I mean, half my vocabulary, like, any big word that I used as a kid, I got from Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I still use slobber knocker from good old JR. I, I had to explain to Rogan the other day that I'm pretty sure that, that, was, that that's, like, a, a JR thing. Slobber knocker. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, isn't that just normal? I go, I'm pretty sure JR made it famous because him and uh, him and Jim Ross had a conversation on Twitter about doing each other's podcasts. And I really? saw it because I follow both of them. So I'm like, fuck, yeah, I got to make this happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Rogan's going to have JR on soon. Oh, that'd and, be a great podcast. And also Mick Foley is on the oh, coming good. up block at some point, like in the next, you know, six months or so. Whenever they get Cole Cabana on, too. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I still haven't gotten to listen to that CM Punk thing he did. But. <laughs> Look behind you. <laughs> Whoa, you're still here? We're doing... That's well, so funny. We're wrapping up if you want to walk out with them. Rogan and Ari Shafir are still here. Come on in, guys. We're talking about you, Joe. We're wrapping yeah. up. We gotta, I got to go to a doctor appointment. But um... How much of what you're saying is really gay? <laughs> <laughs> huh? we're, talk- we're, f- we're talking about turning you into a wrestling fan right now. Yeah, we were. Good luck with that. <laughs> We've got the match and everything. What are you guys still doing here? We stopped we're in a Pete Dominic's moves. show. I love it. <laughs> Joe Rogan and Ari Shafir, super yeah, big wrestling fans. I'm going to go take a nap for a few hours. Okay. All right, we'll see. Oh. Too. Yeah, wrestling's gay, Ari, but you did, you can hit men in the balls like that. And it's not <laughs> gay at all. Joe Rogan and Ari Shafir, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Well, listen. I mean, yeah. we're out of time anyway, really. Yeah, so much fun. But uh, I could do this any time. Yeah, that's, talk- that's why I was like... Because yeah. the same thing when people are like, like I, don't, I can't go on my radio show every week and just talk about wrestling the whole time. Right. Because I just completely isolate the audience. Right. But I was like, let me just launch a wrestling podcast and just yeah. that way I can just hang out and talk about wrestling with people. I love it. Yeah. It's been a long time coming, me and you. For sure. Down. We'll yeah. have to do it again. Anytime. We didn't even get to talk about the Iron Sheik roast. Oh, You know my favorite part about the... Which was the worst Iron Sheik roast I've done was the New York one. Really? Oh. My favorite part about the Iron Sheik roast, that's the only one I've seen, was that Virgil was on the dais. Oh, my God. And most of the comics that came up mentioned that there's a website called Lonely Virgil. Yeah. And I knew most of the comics on the dais. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew that, that that's my website. That's yours? That's a secret. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, I created that website. Wow. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, Great work. Yeah. It's so funny and so popular. I love it. I mean, it was really a, a, just a bunch of pictures of Virgil by himself. Hilarious. Yeah, that's it. It's that, it's Sometimes you don't overthink things. Sometimes the most simple thing is yeah. the funniest. Well, where can people get at you, Tony? Um, I'm Tony Hinchcliffe. So TonyHinchcliffe.com, Tony Hinchcliffe on Twitter. That's all one word. Tony, H plus inch, Cliff plus E. Hinchcliffe, H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F-E. And uh, a lot of tour dates coming up. Indianapolis, Buffalo, Atlanta, Vancouver, Toronto. Uh, it's all happening. TonyHinchcliffe.com. And definitely support him because like I was saying at the beginning of this thing, there's not – I feel like there's too many closet wrestling fans in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's kind of uh, – it's a little bit taboo to be like, no, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Yeah. And also I'm a comedian or a radio guy or a TV guy or whatever it is. Right. So I think, like, wrestling fans should at least give anybody who says they're a wrestling fan a chance. Yeah. Like, you know, just to check it out. Yeah, no doubt. So go Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. And I think, they would, I, think, I think people would be surprised how many people were inspired and had a big push from wrestling in their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's the greatest performance. Absolutely. There is. No there's doubt no about better, it. there's no funner performance. No doubt about wrestling. it. So many comedians. I would venture to say about sixty to seventy percent of the people in my generation were originally inspired. If had they had, had we had different bodies and different genetics, yeah, would have done that. Instead, we we're just left cutting the promos, basically. Right? Yeah, we got that's the same thing as me. Like until I was like twelve, I was yeah. probably like, no, I'm going to be a wrestler yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and said, that's not happening. <laughs> right. So how can I cut promos for a living? Right. Well, radio might work. There's only enough room for one Ray Mysterio or one Sean Waltman, and then you yeah. Know, yeah. Do you know X-Pac? Never gotten to meet him. He was another one of my... As I got older, he was one of my favorites when I was in high school. He's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And 
his stories, like, he doesn't give a fuck. So he'll tell any story. Yeah. The most fascinating things you've ever heard. He's amazing. Wow. He's amazing. Well, next time I come on, let's have him on at the same time. That'd be great. Yeah. Three of us. <laughs> we'll do it. Thanks, man. Thank you. So much fun, Sam. Here is Sam Roberts. That was Tony Hinchcliffe here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Again, for real. If you got a kick out of him, if you enjoyed him, if you want to just throw your support behind him as wrestling fans, make sure you reach out to him on Twitter and uh, you let him know that you heard him here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Of course, giveaways on giveaways. I get that Miz DVD out to the winner. I'll figure out who won the Katie Linendahl uh, hashtag replacement referee hashtag game last week. I'll get you your, uh, I believe it was a Suplex City shirt that we promised. I don't, I don't even remember at this point. But... I get all those prizes out. If you didn't win a prize, you can get yourself a prize by going to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. That's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can get yourself a What's the Haps t-shirt, a Bree mode, I mean a Not Sam mode t-shirt, a plain old Not Sam shirt, a Sam Roberts wrestling podcast shirt, anything you want. It's all there, all the Sam Roberts merch you could ever want. Is it ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts? And if you see me at a live event, and I go to quite a few live events, and you're wearing a Sam Roberts t-shirt, you better believe I'm going to shake your hand. How do you like that? A free handshake with each purchase as long as you find me. I'm not going to do any of the legwork. Now, let's get into it. Tony Hinchcliffe aside, it's time to get in to the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Here we go. State of wrestling time. Big time for NXT right now. Big time. Big time for NXT. First of all, I don't know. Maybe I don't uh, pay close enough attention to the internet. I don't know if people realize that Sami Zayn was going to be a part of Raw this week. I certainly did not. Uh, It sucks that he's injured. Apparently he's got some kind of legit shoulder injury coming off of Raw. But... The start that they gave Sami Zayn, the spotlight they put on him, I mean, that's that's an irreplaceable thing to do to somebody. This is one of those moments where it's not about winning, it's not about losing, it's about the fact that he was able to get that spot with John Cena. He was able to get it on Monday Night Raw. He was able to get his time in, and he was able to do what he does. They let They showcase Sami Zayn. To the highest level, I thought he was able to get in his uh, corner, uh, his, his slide through the corner DDT. He was able to get some off the top rope, some flippy shit, as they call it on the internet. He was able to get it all in. By the way, I, I should have mentioned this on the State of Wrestling. Thanks to Joe Rogan for popping his head in while I taped my podcast with Tony Hinchcliffe. That was Joe Rogan's voice you heard at the end of that interview. But uh, Sami Zayn looked like a million bucks on Raw this week, um, and I think it's, I think it's. He's one of the – there's a handful of guys at NXT that I think have star power written all over him. Finn Balor is going to be a monster of a star. He's going to be huge. Uh, I think Sami Zayn is there. I think Kevin Owens is there. Um, I think Hideo Tommy has the potential to be there. I think Tyler Breeze is going to be a pretty big star. But I also – I wonder what's going to happen to a lot of the players that are on the main roster. For instance, maybe it's just an aesthetic thing. But I think once Tyler Breeze gets called up to the main roster, Tyler Breeze is kind of what Dolph Ziggler always should have been. Tyler Breeze is a better defined 
I'm not talking about in terms of in-ring. I'm talking about in terms of character. In terms of... Because at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to get behind somebody who you like in the ring. But there's got to be a hook there. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be something to get your attention. That's that gimmick. That's that character. That's that story that's being told. And the Tyler Breeze story with the, uh, with the fur boots, with the selfie stick, with the whole deal. Calling people uggos. I love that. That is what Dolph Ziggler always should have been. That sort of cocky, egotistical character revamped for 2015. It's relevant. It's timely and topical. It's 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 what Dolph should have been. And I feel like Tyler Breeze is going to kind of leave Dolph Ziggler without a spot. I feel the same way about uh, Sasha Banks and Alicia Fox. I feel like Alicia Fox is almost there, and Sasha Banks is this kind of well-defined thing. I think there are a bunch of people that are in NXT now that not only are they going to flourish on the main roster, but there are people on the main roster that should be pretty worried. I think that whole generation, probably the first generation after Cena, your Zigglers, your Miz, your all that whole Mizdow, your Sandow, all those guys that came in after Cena, maybe five years ago or so, I think they all got to pay attention to these NXT people and realize that, you know, they, they could come and go without getting their time. And maybe that's just a matter of timing. You know, I don't know how you take Cena out of the main event spot with, with as much drawing power as he has proven to have. But I do think that a lot of guys that have never quite made it to that level are in danger of never quite making it to that level. Once this new class of NXT guys comes in, because you are, you're already watching. Okay, let's look at the main event for payback. Now it's a fatal four-way. It's Randy Orton, you know, who's been in WWE forever now, against the three members of the Shield. The three members of the Shield, the Reigns, Ambrose, Rollins, they were along the same class as Wyatt. The whole that first, that inaugural, I'll say, NXT class came in like a like a house on fire. And they got their spots. Uh, and I think the same thing is gonna happen the more and more people that are uh, in NXT now start moving up. I think Sami Zayn is going to be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know about Neville. I'm interested to see what happens with Neville. Um, I think he's super impressive. I love I hope he does great. I think he has the potential to do great. But there's a lot in me that sees kind of an Evan Bourne thing happening. Where when Evan Bourne first showed up, he was getting lots of opportunities, and he was getting to showcase his aerial stuff, and he was different from everybody else on the roster, and then eventually it was just like he was just an attraction. It was just like, here's Evan Bourne, he's different from the rest of the roster. And that is kind of where I fear Neville is going to end up, where he's just like, yeah, the Neville match is important on the card, but it's not going to be anything that's dictating storylines, it's not going to be a main event thing. I worry about that a little bit for Neville. Neville's probably sitting there at home listening to this right now going, well, don't worry about you, dude. Don't worry about me. Why don't you spend some more time worrying about Sam Roberts and not worry so much about Neville all the time? And maybe he's right. The reason I'm talking so much about NXT, it's a big, big week for NXT, not only because of Sami Zayn's big Raw debut, impressive, but the E60 special. Now, Here's why the E60 special is important. Was it the greatest thing I've ever seen? No. Was it my favorite wrestling documentary of all time? No, not by a long shot. I don't think it was better than Beyond the Mat. I don't think it was better than Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, But 
I do know for a fact that WWE had zero editorial control over this thing. As a matter of fact, the screening that I went to last week, it was a, a media screening. And it was the first time anybody in WWE had gotten to see the movie at all. You know, the people in the PR department, people, a lot of people at WWE were working on this movie for a long time, but they were hands-off. They did not have editorial control over this thing, which is such a rarity in the WWE. Um, so I think on that level, it works because we get to see what it looks like when WWE is not in control of the thing. I think on another level, it works in the sense that it's huge for mainstream. There's going to be a lot of people looking at WWE and NXT differently after this special. I think that's true. If wrestling fans are watching, and they should be, I think uh, Corey Graves is already beloved, and he can't get in a ring anyway. But I think Corey Graves comes off looking really well. And I think this doc could give Adam Rose a chance to shine because it finally added some story. And again, I talk about stories because they're so important, I think. But it finally gave some story to who Adam Rose is and why we should care about him. Now, do I still think he should be strung out, partied too hard, isolated from his friends, Adam Rose? Yeah. I think heel Adam Rose should be completely strung out to the point where there's a metaphorical needle hanging out of his arm. I think he should be totally strung out, hard partying, like Axl Rose when you realized he wasn't going to make any more hits. Like when he was just hard to deal with. Like I think Adam Rose should be turned into Axl Rose, Scott Weiland, that type of rocker who's just like impossible to deal with. Uh, but this doc kind of gives you an insight on his home life. It gives you an insight on some of the stuff that he had to get through in NXT. It gives you an insight on Leo Kruger and that character and how it came about and how it went away. And the transition between the two characters, Leo Kruger and Adam Rose, and how really this dude's career was on the line. I think they could have spent a little more time with the tearjerker part of that. I think I think we could have invested a little more emotionally in Corey Graves not wrestling anymore. And I think the idea of Adam Rose's career being on the line probably could have been uh, heightened a little bit. The, uh, a few more elements of suspension could have been added in there, like to really make you feel what a tough situation he was in. But still, I think that the what's valuable about the E60 special are the real-life moments that you just don't see. I think Triple H comes off looking really good. I think you start to get a full picture of the fact that Triple H is in control of every aspect of NXT. They film him in meetings, and he's sitting there going over every superstar. Not only is he talking to the entire roster and kind of motivating them and letting them know, reminding them that they're in a class of elites, but he is in creative meetings going through each and every superstar in NXT, breaking down what they're good at, what they're not good at. We get to see people on the creative team um, saying bad things about Adam Rose. We see good things, we see bad things. Um, And it really does give you the sense that Triple H is spending the time and really paying attention to the detail of everything going on at NXT. There's this amazing, my probably my favorite moment in the documentary was watching Bray Wyatt 
who a lot of people should know by now is my favorite wrestler in WWE. Watching Bray Wyatt, I think he's the best. Watching Bray in NXT kind of start to come up with the character of Bray Wyatt and watching Triple H show Bray exactly where to position the lantern. Bray had it up over his face and Triple H brought it down to like nose level, explaining the difference of six inches will make a big difference in terms of lighting. The spotlight will see his face. Just going over everything. And it's all these little details that you and I, if we were trying to create something like this, would never be able to pick up. But somebody like Triple H, who's fine-tuned to what it is that they do and is willing to pay attention to detail on things, um, he does notice those things. And I think that's that's what is taking NXT to this next level. NXT is on the road now. NXT is touring. You know, NXT is, is going to be in Albany and Philly, and it, it's really amazing what's gone on with this thing that was supposed to be a developmental territory that ran out of a warehouse. You know, it's huge. You could easily argue it's the number two company on the planet. That's over TNA. You could easily argue that NXT is over TNA right now. Um, but speaking of Triple H, and and the other thing, I thought it was interesting And I talked to the producer of this thing right after I saw the documentary. And I mentioned that at the end, during the credits, when they're kind of giving updates on where everybody is, he it's brought up that Bill DeMott no longer works at NXT. And and it kind of touches on the accusations that were brought up against Bill DeMott. Now, of course, the ESPN cameras, they spent two years, two years filming this thing. Of course they weren't there every day. That's ridiculous. But the producer of this thing, who was there every day that they were filming anyway, told me that, you know, he had to acknowledge it. He had to add it in. But for the record, he didn't see any of of that. He didn't see any of the stuff that was uh, any uh, any of the accused behavior that was being hurled towards Bill DeMott. Now, of course... Bill DeMott would have known there were ESPN cameras there. Of course, they weren't filming every day. So I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm just saying I thought it was interesting that they didn't even catch a hint of it. You know, they caught him talking like a trainer. They caught him telling Adam Rose not to think a lot. Don't think. You think too much. Stop thinking. You know, he kind of jostled him a little bit, but nothing even remotely inappropriate. He came off looking like, you know, a father figure to some of these guys. Uh, so it was very interesting that, that, that it was touched upon at the end, but really no evidence of Bill DeMott being improper whatsoever anywhere near this documentary, which, as I said, was not—WWE did not have editorial control over the thing. Now, we're talking about Triple H and his attention to detail and how hands-on he is and all this stuff. Well, of course— Michelle Beadle is no longer a fan of Triple H or the WWE. Michelle Beadle has done my radio show a couple of times. I've done her TV show. We were just hanging out at WrestleMania. Me, Beadle, her boyfriend, Katie Linnadol, we were all there having a blast at WrestleMania. Michelle Beadle is as real deal as a wrestling fan comes in terms of uh, mainstream credibility. But... She was not allowed at the Floyd Mayweather fight. Now, Floyd Mayweather has a history. Of course, Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. You guys remember him. I remember him from his appearance at WrestleMania 24 when he wrestled the big show. But 
a lot of other people, other people, were talking about him because of his fight with Manny Pacquiao over the weekend. Um, Michelle Beadle was not allowed at the fight. She couldn't get in the building because, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> professional broadcasting. She was not allowed in the fight because Floyd Mayweather has a history of domestic violence. And Michelle Beadle, I guess, has made no secret of that while reporting on him. She's made comments about it. Uh, Floyd Mayweather has not liked it. Apparently, Floyd Mayweather and his camp banned Michelle Beadle from the building. She flew back to Los Angeles. It became a big story after Beadle tweeted about it to her millions of followers or million followers. And uh, they took it back. They said, no, 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 she's allowed in. That was a mistake. And Beadle said, no, thanks. I'm going to stay in L.A. Thanks for the invite, but no thanks. I don't have a problem with that. I like it. Somebody doesn't invite me someplace, good. I don't need you. Go screw. Kick rocks is what I say. But it went one step further, and that's why it's being brought up on the state of wrestling. It's become kind of a big story in the IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community, because Michelle Beadle noticed that Triple H was sending uh, positive tweets to Floyd Mayweather. Of course, Floyd Mayweather and Triple H are friends. They've done business together, as we discussed at WrestleMania. And uh, Triple H has always been in support of Floyd Mayweather. Michelle Beadle, uh, I guess all the pieces came together for her at once. And she decided that since Triple H was supporting Floyd Mayweather to that extent in such a public way, because Floyd Mayweather has a history of domestic violence, that she was rescinding her fan card. She was no longer a WWE fan. Here's what I think. <clears throat> and she, and she, uh, you can find it online. You can follow her at Michelle D. Beadle. Uh, and you can find out everything she wrote about it there. Here's what I think. I love Beadle. I think she's awesome. Uh, I would have her on this podcast anytime. I'd have her back on my satellite radio show anytime. Um, I think it's unfair that you take an opinion of Triple H and you decide since you don't agree with that, you're going to disagree with his business practices. Uh, I think the same argument could be made by me if I said, oh, I don't support domestic violence. So if you are against being a fan of anything that is related in any way to domestic violence, you're going to be, it's going to be pretty difficult for you to justify watching any sports. Every major league sports organization has in some way, shape, or form helped make some people who have participated in domestic violence profit. All of them. And when you're a sports reporter, you're furthering the agenda of professional sports organizations. It's not just journalism. It's, you know, it's doing a, a ESPN was taught Michelle Beadle works for ESPN. I was watching ESPN on Saturday morning. They were airing pre-show stuff for the Floyd Mayweather pay-per-view. They were airing a special watching Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao train for this thing. ESPN, the people who hire Michelle Beadle were the ones getting me excited for the Floyd Mayweather pay-per-view. I guarantee you. That people purchased, they spent the ninety nine ninety nine that it cost, not nine ninety nine, ninety nine ninety nine. 
that it cost for that pay-per-view because they got excited watching ESPN. It's a slippery slope when you start saying, well, Triple H supports Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather has gotten in trouble for domestic violence. I don't support domestic violence, therefore I don't support Triple H. Well, we can start going up that chain, and and if that's the kind of public moral stance that you want to take, people are going to find issues in a lot of different things that you do. And if you don't care, then you don't care. That's fine. I mean, Michelle Beadle can be a fan of whatever she wants to be a fan of. I just think it's one thing to say I'm not a fan of WWE anymore because of what's going on on WWE. It's another thing to take a moral cause with something that is happening far away from the world of sports entertainment and say, well, because of this, I don't, I don't support it anymore. You know, Kevin Nash was accused of domestic violence and he almost didn't go into the hall of fame because of it. The charges were dropped and therefore they, but WWE in no way, shape or form supports domestic violence. If anybody in that company is found uh, to be committing any any form of domestic violence, they get fired. They get fired from the company. I, you know, I, I, I think it's not up to Triple H. Triple H can support whatever boxer he wants to support because he's thinking about it in terms of business. He's thinking about it in terms of boxing. He's not, he doesn't have to judge these people uh, as a representative of him. Floyd Mayweather is not a representative of Triple H. I was rooting for Floyd Mayweather. I like the villain. I think Floyd Mayweather is a great fighter. He's a great defensive fighter. He's amazing to watch. Do I think he's a good guy? No. I think he's a terrible person. But he's very, very good at boxing. And that's, I think, what Triple H was supporting. And he's good for WWE business. And that's, I think, what Triple H was supporting. Um, you know, if, if, if Triple H brought Floyd Mayweather under contract... You are now a WWE superstar full-time. Or if they signed Floyd Mayweather for one more match, WrestleMania 32, Floyd Mayweather versus The Undertaker, say. I would watch that. And Floyd Mayweather commits domestic violence between now and WrestleMania, that's an issue for Triple H to take umbrage with. But you can't... Triple H cannot go to bat for... When, when you support somebody like Floyd Mayweather... It's not up to Triple H to check his history. It's not up to Triple H to support every aspect of this guy's personality. You know, I don't think that Michelle Beadle ever supported necrophilia, but Triple H on screen, his character portrayed a man having sex with a corpse. You know, morally, that's very, very wrong. I'd be so mad if a loved one died and somebody had sex with their corpse. But... It was a character. It was something that happened in a moment. And it was what it was. We can move past it. And I I think that's a big deal. I think that's an important thing. And I I think that Michelle Beadle probably got ahead of herself with this one. I think that... uh, I think she's not done being a wrestling fan. Because you can't just stop being a fan of something because it's something unrelated. If you're a fan of something, you're a fan of it. I think she will go back to watching wrestling and tweeting about wrestling and being a part of the thing. I think she will go back to having superstars on her show. I think we will see her in the front row of WWE shows again soon. 
I don't agree with with where she's at right now. And and I I think that she was coming from an an emotional place, and uh, it's not going to hold up. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, well, listen. We covered a lot here on the State of Wrestling. I think it's about time we wrap this thing up. Uh, I want everybody to go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. I'm trying to think, as I plug the t-shirt site, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts, if I touched on everything I wanted to touch on. I still want to get into this thing about TNA. I'm intrigued at the way WWE and TNA are handling business differently. The WWE is like a traditional traveling wrestling show, whereas TNA is a television show. But that's a bigger conversation. Uh, I think I got to everything else. Um, hope everybody enjoyed my Twitter fight with Stardust over the week. I got into it. Look, my favorite wrestlers right now are Bray Wyatt and Sasha Banks. Everybody wants to know. Those are my two favorite wrestlers in the world right now, Bray Wyatt and Sasha Banks. Love you, Stardust, but not like I love Bray Wyatt and Sasha Banks. Especially not like I love Sasha Banks. It's a whole different thing. And Sasha Banks, I will get you on this podcast. Tweet at her. Let her know what's happening. Because we've tweeted a couple times. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, homie. It's going to happen. Thanks for listening to this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I will see you right here or wherever you are because you can listen on headphones next week for more of it. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.